The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 338 premium for Thursday, June 23rd, 2011. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Uh, here in New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Oh, oh, you're going to do it that way. Okay. Well, here in Connecticut, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Really what I was thinking about was, you know, we do the intro to the show. You know, I start, start record, uh, whichever one of us does the intro, does the intro. Then, you know, I press play on the intro music and then I've got, you know, 30, 40 seconds where I can enjoy that first sip of tea because the, uh, you know, I make the tea during the break. And then of course I want to let it cool a little bit, but that first sip of tea, it's always the perfect temperature right there during the, uh, during the intro. So I enjoy that. So well, no, uh, I was just commenting on your, you, you only said what state you're in and not what city and or town state location state. We're not talking about anything yes. else, any other kinds of states. That's right. Well, you didn't say Durham. No, I didn't sure. say Durham. And I didn't say Fairfield, Connecticut. No. So, so that could lead people to believe things uh, that uh, may or may not be true. You know, um, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Uh, really, there's no conspiracy. So, you know, we're at the end of the, the well, actually, we've passed the end of the standard television uh, series you know, they, they all have their, their grand finales or whatever back at the, uh, you know, season closers, uh, back last month. And don't worry, John, this is going somewhere relevant. I uh, so. okay. So, uh, you know, we, we watch movies every now and then, but sometimes, you know, we don't have a lot of time at that night. Maybe we just want to watch it, you know, an hour long TV show or something. And, uh, and lately there hasn't been a whole lot on. And so we had queued up a bunch of episodes of Chicago code and, uh, you know, the storyline had actually gotten good and we started watching them. And the cliffhanger for the season end was a two part episode. And all we had in the TiVo was the first part of it. We didn't have the second part. And so, you know, a couple nights ago we finished it and I thought, oh, yeah, I got to go on BitTorrent and, uh, you know, and just download the episode and, and put it on the TV. So, you know, put it somewhere out there so I can stream it to the TV. I think I told you that I got a nasty gram for doing that once. Yeah, but you for got a nasty, nasty gram for sharing it, not for uh, downloading it. But um, correct. Technically, yeah. yes, it was not downloading it. It was making it available to others. And uh, right. yeah, I thought I was being a good BitTorrent citizen, which I think I was. But apparently I left my machine up too long. And yeah, and the owner of the content, you know, came into the same yeah. came into my torrent and set up. Here's his IP. Find his uh, ISP. And I got a nasty gram. Nothing ever came of it. They just sent a letter saying, you know, somebody complained about this and not, not saying that you did it. But right. if you did. Don't do it again. Right. Uh, so that's John and his air conditioner over there. That's what that's what you're hearing in the background, folks. Uh, but it is, you know, he's, the man's got to be comfortable. But anyway, so, you know, I, I, I kept forgetting. And last night, Lisa said, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I, wouldn't it be great to watch Chicago Code? And I thought, yeah, I got to get it. And she said, what about Hulu? Now, uh, we keep a Hulu Plus subscription alive because we use it, you know, at TMO every now and then just to test things or whatever. And I don't know, about a month ago, uh, TiVo, it, something popped up on our TiVo, certainly on our TiVo premiere. I don't know if it happened on our other units saying Hulu Plus is now available on the TiVo. So I said, well, I'm logging the account. And so we just logged it in and left it there. And, uh, and it's, well, yeah, why not? Let's check it. So we went into Hulu and it's kind of this, you know, wacky interface. 
uh, on the TiVo, but it, you know, it was fine. And sure enough, there was the episode of Chicago code. There was, you know, it was all right there. We press play and, uh, and it saved me from going to BitTorrent. Now Hulu says limited commercial interruption, There's, which means that they've limited it to only twice as many commercials as you would get if you watched it on, uh, on regular TV. But, uh, but at least we pay an $8 a month subscription. So, so there is that. But it did save me from going to BitTorrent. It was much simpler. You know, it was that, that age old thing, you know, and Apple capitalized on this when they started the iTunes music store, make it easy for people to pay to get the content and they will. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, we were, we were ecstatic to, uh, to take advantage of Hulu and it was just all right there. So well, now why didn't you, now I'm curious. Now I just, uh, I, I just look quickly here and like some other shows that I've watched and I missed it, whether the TiVo screwed up or I forgot to schedule it. I'm looking here and it is available on Fox. Fox.com. Right. To what? Yes. And that was the first thing I noticed. I pulled out the iPad and I went to Fox.com. Uh, and of course you can't watch it. Uh, from the iPad because the content is not optimized for HTML five. So I said to Lisa, I said, well, you know, we could go to one of the laptops and watch it there. And, and that's, okay, when yeah, she that, that's what I, Hulu. that's what I've done. Yeah. yeah. As I hook up the cable and but I wanted to watch it on my, on my plasma screen. I don't, I want to sit on my couch. You're right. You know? Yeah. Well, I do that too on my HD. I, I have the cables. I, I got the audio cable to my receiver yeah. and I got the video cable and it comes up in, in, I think it's HD. Yeah. It's a big are. pain in the neck. No, but I agree you're right. With you. Okay, you so it. so it's yeah. okay. So it's yeah. good that that Hulu uh, Hulu offers that. Neat. Yeah, it's just was you know it was all set up ready to go, and it was it was nice to actually experience that with because with TV episodes, you know, we we're not Apple TV people, but even still, it was always limited, and I don't know that this worked out. I was happy. So, well, if you're happy, then then I'm that, happier. <laughs> that's that's what it's all about, isn't it? All right, uh, let's jump into uh, a couple of questions here. And then uh, certainly for Cool Stuff Found, my guess is, John, you might have a couple of things to add from uh, from your travels this week. So we'll uh, we'll see where we go. Um, maybe. I, maybe haven't, I haven't compiled. A li- maybe for the next show. Bye. No, I went to. Uh, so, so just to let you know that this is like a crazy week in New York City. I think it's a CEA week, a Consumer Electronic Association. That's right. So not only this group, but everybody, uh, anybody else who has a show has a show. So we, within the course of two days, I went to four media events and got just a, a great mix of. Uh, I still have a pile of stuff uh, downstairs that I, I have to go through. Yeah. Um, All right. So for so we'll do that for uh, for Monday's show. All right. Uh, Joe writes. It seems when I copy and paste information into an email I'm composing, often it comes in looking like it's double spaced. I think this happens when I paste from a Word document only. When I try to position the cursor and get rid of a blank line, all that happens is that the second line gets appended to the previous line. There isn't much in the way of formatting that can be done, it seems. Clicking on Make Rich Text does nothing. The menu item changes to Make Plain Text, and when I click on that, again, nothing. Any ideas how to avoid this situation or edit what I have and what may be related. Sometimes I copy and paste what I believe is text only to have mail, put a box around it with a little X to dismiss this. It appears that Mac OS 10 mail thinks it's a graphic. This is another thing I'd like to avoid. Uh, sometimes programs like to think for you, a common problem for Microsoft word, which is now seemingly followed by Mac OS 10 mail. Of course, Steve Jobs seems to believe he thinks he's better than the rest of us. All right, Joe. Uh, so Whoa. yeah, we, um, we we this does happen. What's happening is the data that's being copied to the clipboard. And when you copy something, the system puts that in memory and it calls that location in memory, the clipboard and the data that's being pasted to the clipboard or or put in the clipboard is not just text. It's 
rich text. It's It's got some formatting. You could even have text and graphics in there and paste them both in and mail would happily take it. Uh, and it's all up to the program that's receiving it, how much of that data it wants to uh, to inherit. Mail is happy to inherit as much as it possibly can. Now, what's interesting is uh, what Joe said, you know, I've seen this. And usually what I do is I go up to the message menu, sorry, uh, the format menu, and I change the format at the bottom of the menu. I say make plain text. Now, Joe alluded to these. Uh, it says make plain text if the message has is in rich text and it says make rich text if the message is plain text. So it's a toggle and it will change at the bottom of the, the menu in the format menu in mail. Uh, Joe indicated that his was already it already thought it was in plain text mode. And that's kind of interesting that uh, that it would be having these weird formatting issues in plain text. But I have another answer for you. Um, what you can do is because I've run into wacky situations like this where you're getting, you know, space and a half carriage returns and it's a big mess. Get something uh, like like uh, get some text editor, sole text editor. So text edit is not it because text edit will inherit uh, RT, you know, um, uh, rich text data just like mail would. But get get something like BB edit, which, of course, is for pay or uh, uh, text wrangler, which is like BB edit light and it's free. And it, they, this, these are text only editors. They will not, they, they, they completely ignore all other information. So the idea is you use them as an interim. You go, you copy from word, you paste into text wrangler, then you highlight in text wrangler and copy from that. Now the data that's on the clipboard is just text only because that's the only language text wrangler speaks. And then you can paste that into mail and it should be a normal text message. So that's, that's my, that's my workaround for that stuff. I don't know how you deal with that stuff, John, but. That's how I do it. I'm gonna, I, I, I was just chopping at the bit waiting to tell you, Dave. Yeah, go. So, you know, a lot of times I'm a no frills type of guy. So what I do, Dave, is in mail app, in the preferences, in the composing menu, yeah. there is a choice message format, and I default to plain text. Right, but that won't matter if you, pay, if you paste in rich text, mail will automatically change the format of that email to rich text. Mm definitely i i didn't find that well i was trying to paste things i was trying to copy things from word like he was saying so things that were in a different font yeah and they stayed in plain text huh so i'm suggesting a potential workaround yeah that has not been my experience because i i leave mine set that way too mine is set to make um you, you know maybe pasting in from word to a new message will uh, won't go rich text, but I know that if I'm replying to someone's email and they've used rich text in their email, my reply automatically is in rich text mode. It's not in okay. plain text. That mode. could be the case. Yeah. So again, I'm just yeah. suggesting one pl- another place where you may want to look in. Yeah, that mail, might work for new default. messages. Yeah, that's, that's oh, it absolutely right. does. Yeah, because I, I I tried a few examples. I, I don't think I, but I, I did try to paste style text from Word into Mail app. And the thing I default to, or I think it defaults yeah. to courier. So just one suggestion. Now, the other thing I want to mention is that also in, um, in text edit, also in the preferences, there is a default where you can say, uh, well, I think you touched on this is that you can say new document, use the format menu to choose between rich text or plain text. So, right. so both programs definitely understand the concept of rich, you know, which includes fonts and uh, as was stated. Now, another thing that, that I found come in handy a lot of times is that within mail, 
there is a paste and match style, which at least in my case, if, if I'm already in plain text and I try to, to paste something, uh, and maybe I have had cases where it has come in stylized, but a lot of times I will explicitly choose paste and match style, which if the style is plain, then it will match the style. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Now, the only other thing that occurs to me is that I looked this up also, and I think this may be just in the latest version of Word, but Word also has at the very top of the screen a little button where if it's depressed, then I don't know if, it, if it's uh, a toggle from the last time you use it or, or if, it de- if you can just default to it, but it's something called copy format, the copy formatting brush. Okay. And it's a little paintbrush on, on the, the, the Word toolbar, at least in, in 2011. So that may be another thing you may want to make sure is not selected if you don't want to bring along all that stuff from Word. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Uh, hopefully one of those things helps that, that, because I think you're right, John, about the, the, the mail thing. If you're set to plain text and you, and it's a new message and there's no pre-existing text in there that you replied from or anything, uh, then I think it will just inherit it that way. That's good. Uh, Austin writes, my wife used the voice memo app on her iPhone to record a relatively long 42 minute memo. However, when attempting to play it, the progress bar shows 000 to 000 and no playing happens. Also, when she syncs to her laptop, although all the other voice memos are transferred, this one is not. Any idea what's happening? I took it to the genius bar. They say corrupted data and suggest there may be software out there that would allow me to pull the memo off the iPhone, but do not have any recommendations. Yeah. So, you know, I did a bunch of those interviews at WWDC and the, the path with them. I mean, they all turned into written articles, but the way I did them was I uh, set my iPhone either on the table or even sometimes if I was sitting next to somebody just on my knee or, or whatever, and uh, ran the voice memo app and we, ch- we talked and then I took the memo and I sent it off to uh, John Martellero and, uh, and then he transcribed the interview and, and put it up on TMO. The way I got those off, I could have synced with iTunes, but of course I was traveling and I didn't have my main iTunes library with me. So I can't, I, you know, I don't want to sync to a library that's not, not there. So I actually use phone view from Ecamm networks, ecamm.com. And this thing will pull all kinds of stuff off or, or put things onto your iDevice. It's, it's really cool. Um, you can mess with app data if you know what you're doing. And uh, and also pull your contacts and your uh, SMS messages and all that stuff off into the app. But voice memos are another thing. And I was able to drag right from the iPhone right into mail.app or or or, I mean, these are pretty big messages, but right into uh, like Dropbox and then it would would just go up. So that's one way to to get it off of there. Uh, And and if it can be gotten off of there, phone view will let you get it off. Now, at that point. Uh, if the iPhone can't play it, chances are QuickTime on your Mac won't play it either. It might, but but there might be something in there. So I would use something, you know, some third-party sound software that's perhaps a little more robust and might read through some of the, the corruption, if in fact that's what it is. Um, my my go-to sound software is Sound Studio from Freeverse.com, uh, but maybe you've got, you've got another suggestion, John? Yes, I do. You yeah. knew I did, right? I knew. All right. So one suggestion, this may not work because, yeah, it sounds it sounds to me like the uh, the file is screwed up. Oh, yeah. hi, Austin. Austin and I used to work together. So ah, cool. um, one thing is that so every voice memo, if you do click on it, there is then a share option. 
on the iPhone. Yeah, but it won't work. Try. Doesn't work with long memos. It oh, fails. all right. Because yeah. all right, all right. Well, there's two options. Yeah, all right. So a long one, it probably wouldn't work because the two options are either SMS and email, and both of which, it, yeah, you have limited file size. I, so, but I tried to send these with you know I had some interviews that were that long last uh, you know whatever I was at WWDC, and I tried to email them because that would have been best because then I could have done it right from the show floor there. But nope, there was no. Okay. Yeah, I just said too big. You want to trim it? I'm like no. Right. So, so one thing that, that I want to mention is, um, you know, as was pointed out, is that if you do sync with your, with iTunes, it will show up in a I believe it's a voice recording playlist. Right. OK, so. But he said that didn't work. It didn't sync that bad. All right. Bad. So the other thing now, I also found a program. So this is uh, so you, you, you found a couple Dave. I found another one called iPhone Explorer from Macro Plant. All right. Now, here's what's groovy about these guys. It's uh, it's for Mac and PC. Oh, cool. But it does the it does pretty much the same thing. So so I did this. I, I recorded a short voice memo, hook up this program, run this program, have the device plugged in and it shows you the directory structure and within a let me see a media directory. And then within the recordings directory was an M4A file and it showed a few things. I think, yeah, it showed the file type and I think it showed the. The size. So, you know, any of these utilities, I think, will show the size of, of the file. And hopefully it's, it's something other than zero. Yeah. Because in that case, yeah, you're you, you're out of luck. But but this uh, this program works the same way. I, I took the file, dragged it to my desktop, and all of a sudden I had an M4A file uh, on my desktop. I double clicked on it and QuickTime played it. So cool. Between all those programs we mentioned, uh, yeah, have to- if the file is at all recoverable. And, and yeah, I, I was surprised to find this uh, iPhone Explorer. Um, yeah, that's- it's, it's free, which is okay. a, a, an advantage. I believe the, the ones you mentioned, I think they have free demos, but but they are uh, commercial. Yeah. Fo- well, PhoneView, I, I want to check this out because PhoneView shelters you a little bit. It doesn't just show you the file system. It actually categorizes it, which it most of the time is really nice. If I want voice memos, it's got this like iTunes like view and I just click on voice memos and it, you know, it shows them to me. I don't need to know to find them in the media folder and all of that. Right. So, um, but there's times when you might not, you know, you might not want to be shielded from that. So that that's, uh, I'll have to check that one out too. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's go to Daniel. I think that's a good one. It's a, it's a bit of a, a geek challenge, as it were. Uh, Daniel says, in the Finder, is there a way to add an option when you right-click to have an email option when you are right-clicking on a file? So uh, the he says, I know uh, it's available from the services menu, but sometimes that seems like a long way away. So he wants to be able to right-click on a file and say, email this file. Now, I don't know of a way to do that, John. Do you? <sighs> Not right-clicking. Okay, I, so I, could, you, I could suggest another option. Go ahead. Suggest the other option. Uh, I could suggest that you take the file and drag it to the mail app icon in your dock. I like that. And it will become an attachment yeah. in a new email message. So hopefully that's, that's uh, I mean, that's about the least amount of work I think you could do. And I even tried it with multiple files and it appeared to work, at least with mail apps. So yeah, it does. That's right. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing to do would be um, to build a, a little automator uh, action that does yeah. that and put it in your, you know, folder actions folder, or whatever, and you choose it from right click and off you go. Right. That was the only other thought I had. Yeah. yeah. Between an Apple script. Uh, I, I looked very quickly. I didn't see it on, uh, 
Ah, oh, that site that has all the app. It, it didn't mm. have a, a pre-done one. Uh, Wouldn't so. be that difficult to do an automator. I mean, it's it's probably one step, right? Email files, and it'll take input and go. I mean, I, you know, that's what I do. Yeah, so I, I, I think that one... Um, now, of course, it, I mean, it could be a mini geek challenge. There, there may be a way to get it in. I, I haven't, I got to admit, I haven't really looked at how to get things into the contextual menu in, in great detail. So. Yeah, there are, pl- I mean, it, you know, plugins and all of that. So um, let's see, contextual menu, Mac, email. Does it exist? We'll do a quick search. There it is. Uh, something called email CM is a contextual menu and service for snow leopard for creating Apple mail messages with the attack attachments for each selected yeah. file in the finder. Wow. Look at you. So that's one. I, you know, I found it, Joe, you heard it, right? I found it just now. So I have no idea what people say about this, but, uh, but it certainly, certainly puts it there. So try that. We'll put that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And John, mm-hmm. I, I will put a link to that into, uh, into our in Skype the, room for you right now. Ah, oh, there we go. Nice. Yeah. All right, um, let's uh, let's go to Bill. This is the this is not the first time I've heard of this. Bill Bill writes, "Do you think Apple will discontinue the iPod Classic since it will not be able to sync with the cloud?" So this is very interesting, right? Because the cloud is only accessible by uh, devices that have their own wireless signal, uh, you know, wireless capability, and of course, dev- devices running iOS. Um, the iPod Classic, as well as the iPod Nano and Shuffle. Uh, do not do this, right? So they won't be iCloud, but I, I, iCloud a, a bull, at least not in their current form. Uh, I think the iPod Classic will, will stick around because it's it, until until flash memory gets cheap enough where you can have you know a hundred plus gigabytes on a portable device. I, I think I think well I think there will be people that want all of their music with them all the time. Now I realize that what iCloud does is it allows you from your much smaller, you know, device, an iPhone or, or an iPod touch to pull down whatever song you want from your iCloud repository. So effectively you have access to all, you don't have all your music with you, but you have access to all your music uh, anywhere that you've got a connection. So perhaps, uh, but I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. I don't wow. know. I didn't know they still made these. Look at the 160 gigabytes. I, I, I live, I, mine is, is what I use to, keep music in the car. I, uh, I, that, that it's basically the only place it goes with me and, and it copies my entire music library and it sits in the car and it's great. Yeah. Well, you're, if, if anybody had a, a need to store up to 40,000 songs, it'd probably be you. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what they claim is the uh, capacity. I'm close on it. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, it's close. It's, you know, it's probably, I probably have 20% of the device free right now. So on to Alan, John. Ooh, okay. I like this. This is good. Alan writes, my son, a young architect just back from a project, is in need of a new laptop. His four-year-old 15-inch Sony Vio is starting to show its age. He would love to replace it with a new MacBook Pro and, in doing so, please his Apple-loving father. However, much of the software he uses is Windows-based. Would he be better served sticking with a Windows machine or would Parallels or other similar software on a MacBook run those programs just as well? Also, if a Mac is a better choice, should he wait until Lion is released as it promises a Windows migration tool? So I, I will answer the last question first for anyone considering buying a Mac, especially if you're going to migrate from Windows. 
yeah, wait. If, if unless unless you have some reason that you don't want to run Lion, uh, I would say wait until uh, until the Lion's out, and then that way you'll just get it on your new Mac, and it should be within certainly within the next month, right? That's their deal. Uh, but as far as the first question, John, you know my my litmus test, and this is always how I was in back when I was doing consulting, and people would ask me this question: is I use the fifty percent mark. You know, if if there is some reason that as a Mac uh, user, you believe they're going to need to do more than 50% of uh, their work in windows, then don't recommend that they switch that at least that's my, that, that that's how I do it. Now, certainly they could choose to do all their web browsing and email uh, and word processing in windows, but presumably if someone's buying a Mac, they want to use the, the Mac side for that. So what I'm talking about here is only those, you know, specific windows only software packages that, you know, some folks have to use for work or, or various other reasons. If it's just, you know, custom built for windows and there's no Mac option and no Mac alternative. So you've got to run, you know, bootcamp or parallels or VMware or, or virtual box or whatever, you know, you're going to do to, to virtualize that. Uh, if it's more than 50% of the time in those, my feeling is get a windows box. Cause that's what you're going to be using most of the time. Anyway, uh, John, Hmm. I don't know if I agree with you. All right. Go I, I won't violently disagree. Here, here, well, here's a, a different angle that I would take on this. If you are going to run Windows on a Mac, then I would make sure that the configuration that you want to get will be able to provide you with enough disk space and enough RAM. And I think this is where you may get into a crunch here. And I don't know how, how uh, resource hungry some of this... Uh, I'm going to assume this is architecture software. I, I, don't, I don't know how uh, resource hungry some of this stuff is, but if you can't get enough RAM in the Mac to comfortably handle a virtual machine and give you the level of performance that you're used to now. So, you know, if the machine he has right now has six or eight or however many gigs of RAM and you, you can't get an equivalent Apple one that's within your uh, budget, and I think the disk space thing, I, I mean, I'm sure you can get enough disk space, but the RAM, that, that would be my one concern because then you're going to start having performance problems. That's a good point. Yep. Virtualization um, software does, you know, figure whatever RAM you're using on your Mac, add, I, I think safely add two gigs to it. You might be able to get away with one gig, you know, allocated towards your Windows side, but, but you probably, oh no, I'd say more. I mean, I'd probably want to. I, I don't know. I, I do a lot of stuff with virtualization here. And, and as long as I'm not running a performance heavy app, Two is way more than I need. Uh, one usually works, but it's, you know, it's on the fence. So again, it depends on how, how resource hungry the app is. All right. The other caution I would offer is that some of these VMs have varying levels of device support. And now if any of this software uses one of these stupid dongles, which I just detest. Oh yeah. Um, Handling standard devices, you know, hard drives and printers and other things via USB or whatever other other bus is okay. But you know, certain things are out, of course, like parallel port, which I I hope there isn't still Windows software out there that needs you to plug into a parallel port. That I think st many PCs still offer that. So as long as there's none of this annoying software that requires a dongle or some other weird way to activate it or or keep it running, then yeah, you you may also want to uh, consider. A, uh, a virtual machine. Yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, I was on the train yesterday and it was funny because I was talking to a guy and he was asking me, you know, he does uh trading for hedge funds or something like that. But he's like, you know, do you think I should get a Mac? And I'm like, well, 
you know, I mean, the thing is, you, you know, it, it, it may be a little pricier than a PC, but you're essentially getting multiple machines in one. Yeah. And you're getting a Mac machine. And potentially, if you want to run either Windows or a flavor of Linux, then you can do that under virtualization, whether it be a commercial product or something free like VirtualBox. So I don't know. I, I like the ever since they switched over to Intel, I like the uh, the ability. And now that, you know, Lion will offer the Windows import thing. I think it's a you know, compelling argument if uh, if you have a need or you'd like to explore different operating systems. Cool. All right. Uh, a quick one from Scott. Well, relatively quick. He writes around two years ago, I had my MacBook plugged into the main power. And during the day, there was a power blackout. At the time, the MacBook simply switched to battery and carried on running. However, after that, every fourth to fifth boot up on the following days, the MacBook would boot into safe mode, at which point a simple restart after booting into safe mode had the machine boot normally again. Uh, until again, after another four or five reboots and then back into safe mode. The problem went on for a few months, and eventually I got so annoyed by the intermittent boot to safe mode that I took my MacBook to the Apple store and they performed a PRAM reset. I don't know if they did anything else. They may have set the, reset the NVRAM too. Anyway, for months then, the MacBook booted up fine every single time until recently where I've had yet another power trip out, and now my MacBook is doing the same thing again every fourth to fifth boot. Uh, to save myself the journey back to the Apple store, I decided to try and reset the PRAM myself, but this has not fixed the problem. Do you think resetting NVRAM would help, or is there anything else you think I should try? Uh, okay, so I think what they probably reset was power management, or or the SMC uh, is what it's called on that machine. Uh, there's an instruction sheet available on Apple's website. That's basically universal. It's for every computer and it kind of walks you through the path. Uh, but, uh, he said, uh, Scott said that he's got a 2010 MacBook, and I believe on that machine, you shut down, you plug into power and you hold the left side shift control and option on the keyboard, uh, and then press the power button, then release all of them simultaneously. Wait a beat. And then press the power button alone to restart the computer like you normally would. That that would perform a power management reset. And then that might be it. Never heard of that triggering safe mode, uh, but it's possible, uh, you know, and it, and it seems like that's what the Apple folks did the last time. As, well, that would be my guess as to what they did. I mean, what bothers me is that the only way I know you boot in safe mode is the, the shift keys down. That's right. I don't know why the machine, uh, I'm wondering if the machine thinks the shift key's down, which that, that would concern me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's right. It could be the key. keyboard. That's a good point. That's if, well, there's two ways to get into safe mode that I know of. One is this with the shift key. The other is, I believe there is a way to set a system parameter uh, that will, that, you know, like an NVRAM kind of thing that, that will boot into, uh, that'll tell it to boot into safe mode. Just like, just like you've got your startup disk option. So you can, you can tell it to boot into verbose mode by holding down command V. And you can also issue a command from the terminal that will program NVRAM to do that. So I think oh, safe mode is, right. is, is also accessible that way. Yeah. That, that's, that's, I don't know. Uh, all right. Let's, um, let's jump back to the windows thing for a little bit here and, and talk to Mark, Mark, Mark has an interesting, an interesting question. I'm not sure if we have an answer for him, but it, it brings up an interesting, an interesting I have an answer. Point. Okay, good. Mark writes, uh, I am a school principal and work in a Windows-only environment, but I take my Mac in. Overall, the 
Experience is good with no problems printing or seeing network drives. It's except for seeing the my documents folder on the network drive. I can see the drive, but not the hidden folder in which my documents sits. I use Pathfinder, so I do have the ability to, to do so and see other hidden files, but I still can't see it. Uh, I have downloaded the hidden files app from the app store, but no luck in the normal finder. I have the path and drives IP address and have tried connecting to servers and all of those other options, but I can't do it. My sysadmin is a experienced guy, but not a Mac guy. He tells me I should be able to do it and he gave me a path to enter, but even that didn't work. So um, hidden files on Mac, it's good to talk about what they, what they are, what the Mac sees them as. It's really just a happy agreement amongst everyone to make files hidden. And by that, I mean, Hidden files are now uh, notated by a dot in front of them, uh, a period, if you will, at the beginning. And then everybody in, in Unix land agrees, yep, we're going to call this a hidden file. So unless the user tells me they want to see hidden files, this one's going to be hidden. Now, there are other folders that Mac OS X hides from you. You don't see the slash private folder or the var folder or anything like that at the root level of your hard drive. Those are intentionally hidden by the system, but they're not hidden files. In fact, you can get to them from the terminal very easily. So uh, I think when you're when you're looking in, in these Mac programs, Pathfinder and the um, hidden files app and all of that and telling it to show you hidden files, really what you're saying is anything that starts with a dot. Yeah, go ahead and let me see it on the on the. But once you're connected to a network share, especially on the Windows side, uh, you know, I don't think hidden. I think I think the it sounds to me like the network share isn't advertising that this directory is available. Uh, that that's what it, it sounds like. It's intentionally being hidden by the server or unintentionally, but the server is doing it nonetheless. That's, that's my thought. But John, you worked in a, a mixed uh, windows or a, you worked in a windows environment and brought your Mac in. So uh, you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. Or I had, you know, Macs, which were technically unsupported by the, uh, you know, by the, the, uh, IT group, but they did allow people to put them on the network. And, right. uh, you know, if it was a Mac specific problem, then they would say, well, it's up to you. But if it was a network problem, then they would work with you to solve it. So one thing I would recommend here now, fortunately, uh, to your point that maybe the directory is not being set up right now, if they'll allow him to do that, Microsoft does make something called remote desktop connection. Um, oh, if point. they want to let him connect to this computer that has the network share, if it's a server, then maybe not. But right. I just want to offer that as, as a one piece of advice. Now, another piece of advice is that, and again, you know, I'm all about the support articles and there is one HT 1568 Mac OS X, how to connect to windows file sharing or SMB. Okay. Uh, and it explains a whole bunch of things. Now he did in, uh, in his email mention that the server admin said, hey, well, you know, maybe you want to type this in. Let me, let me try to bring that up because I think that could be a problem as well because he said he tried to and it didn't work. And I can almost, uh, get, I, I can tell you a number of reasons why it probably wouldn't. Let's see, who is this again? Uh, oh, I, I've got uh, it. The, the path that he was instructed to enter was slash slash Zeus slash. Let's not give it all away. Okay. Well, slash H dollar sign and then a series of, uh, of, of directories. So. All right. Well, one problem here is I think those are the wrong slashes, right? If he's going to be in the connect to uh, backslash, if he's gonna, backslash, it's Zeus is, is what it started right. with. Right. All right. So a couple of tips here. So one, if he's going to use this syntax. So one, 
Um, I think he wants to use it. Well, well, first off, so if you do go within the Finder, let me get it here. Is it? Uh, yeah, okay. It's Apple K. I still remember. Yep. Connect to server, which is now, which is very, in the Go. If you go Finder Go and then connect to server is how you would get there. If you didn't want to right. use the Apple K, right? Yeah, I just remember that because I used it so much. Now, the one thing is that the very first few characters of that indicate the protocol that you want to use. So, you want to start it off with SMB colon slash slash. Right. Okay. Yep. Number two, good. you want to use the regular slash and not the backslash because I'm almost positive the backslash will not work. Right. Okay. Yeah. The Mac, thing, the Mac deals in URLs uh, in the in the finder here for server addresses, whereas um, what what was given to him with all these backslashes um, and and it will will we're not going to go too deep here because really frankly this answer is better for email so you can actually see it um, and and John you'll respond to him. But, uh, but, um, yeah, you're going to build a URL. So it's going to be SMB for, uh, well, that's the windows thing. What is it? System server message block or something. Thank you. That's, I think that's right. Yeah. Colon slash slash, just like you do HTTP colon slash slash. This is just using a different protocol. And then you build, uh, you know, the first thing after the slash slash is the computer name, just like you would if you were going to www.macgeekgab.com and then you wanted to go to the store or whatever, you know, you slash store slash whatever. And, it you know that it you're building it the same way so think about that on the mac and uh and you might get there yeah. right the only other caveat i will add here and they mentioned this in the article which we'll of course link to in the yep. lovingly handcrafted show notes that's right um if there's a space in the name which in this case there is uh you got to replace it with a percent 20 which is the hex code for a space uh. so I can almost guarantee that the path that he was given will not work if he tries to put it into the connect to server window on the Mac side. But but I think, as you suggested, Dave, just the fact that it doesn't show up in in the shared tab, because I would expect like when I was in the enterprise on, on the shared tab on my Mac, uh, all the Windows servers would show up. Right. Well, and, and I think for him, he can mount the what what appears to be the drive, right, his home folder but he can't see the, the folder called my documents inside it. And, and if and that leads me to believe that it's not being shared properly, right? Uh, yeah. It's just hidden. Yeah. Either he has to log in and also the article mentions that now maybe he has to log in as himself or authenticate himself before he can see that. That's the other thing that occurs to me. And the, uh, and the article mentions how to do that as well, how to embed similar to HTTP, how you can embed your username and password in, in a URL Right. Uh, so that could be the other thing is that it won't show it to guests, which is probably a good thing, but it'll show it to authenticated users. Right. So I think between all of that, uh, I think I think we can uh, help. Him cool. find it. I don't know if he needs a third. No, he, he shouldn't need a third party product to do this. There are third party products, but but it's built into Mac OS 10. So, yeah, yeah I agree. Uh, all right. Michael writes, I'm in the process of refinancing my house and I'm using um, Quickens, uh, I must say overall a great experience. Everything's done online for the most part and great customer service. However, I needed to download some forms from my user homepage that I had to sign and fax or upload back to them. And this is where my problem started. When I click on the link in Safari, it tried to open the PDF inside the Safari browser and it crashed Safari every time I tried. After many tries and crashes, I decided to download a different browser, and so I downloaded Chrome. Lo and behold, Chrome worked. It rendered the PDF in the browser and allowed me to download the PDF to my downloads folder. So I thought for the moment I was in the clear until I tried to open the PDF with Preview, and it crashed every time. 
At this point, I was looking closer at the file and noticed that the extension as PCL.pdf, I had no idea what this was, so I decided to download reluctantly Acrobat Reader, and after installing, found that uh, Adobe uh, PDF or Adobe Reader opened the document just fine. I've never had any issue with Preview. Matter of fact, uh, I absolutely love the app, but I cannot figure out what this document has anything against it. Uh, Okay. So he says, even uh, he says, if I right click and do get info that crashes on the document too. So uh, it's important to, to, and you stumbled onto a little bit of this, Michael, it's important to understand how Mac OS 10 works. Uh, Apple builds a lot of these services into the operating system and other apps can use them. And PDF display is one of those things. So there is one PDF engine that's called by Safari. It's called by preview and it's called by uh, the finder when you're doing a get info. So it's no surprise. In fact, that that PDF crashes, if it crashes one, no surprise that it crashes all three. It tells you that it's a problem, you know, with, with Apple's PDF rendering engine and this particular PDF Uh, Chrome apparently uses a different engine and an Acrobat reader definitely uses a different engine. So um, I've seen this before. And I don't think I think you're you know, my answer is exactly what you've tried, Michael, and that is using a different uh, piece of software. I'm not sure if PDF pen would work or not. I they, They've kind of got some of their own mojo mixed in with with Apple's engine, as far as I understand it. I mean, I've never seen the code, but I think that's what they're doing. Uh, so that may or may not work. But Acrobat Reader obviously does. So that, you know, that might be your answer. John. Yeah. 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 I got some. <laughs> Uh, so I, I agree with what you said. So the default behavior of Safari, I believe, is to use Preview. However, yeah, to use the I, built-in PDF rendering engine, it's actually yes. not even Preview, right? Because it's going to happen in the Safari uh, window, right, right. right? So right, and I guess Preview uses it as well. Yeah, correct. Okay, but the other thing is that. So first off, I use Acrobat Reader to handle PDFs because I just dig it. I find it, it handle it because I don't have to run into, well, number one, is it, is it, I find wait, 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 is it, is it its lack of speed or the fact that it throws up way more buttons than you need? Uh, I don't mind the buttons that it throws up. <laughs> so the buttons that you don't need are buttons that I prefer to have there. So when, uh, but I, I want to dig in a little deeper here. So you rejected my premise. Yes, I did. That's, that was good. I like that. I reject your premise. Now, when you install Acrobat Reader, what it can also do for you, I, I think it may be an option when you install it, is it will install an internet plugin for you, which is the Acrobat Adobe Acrobat plugin. Okay. Now, how, you may ask, would you know if this plugin is installed? And I will tell you is that in Safari, if you go to the help menu and you say installed plugins, you're going to see a nice little page that tells you all about all the plugins that you have. And the, at least the first one that I have installed here it says, oh, well, here, here's, here's one plugin. It's called Adobe Acrobat plugin version 10.1.0. And here are the MIME types that I can handle. And here's what it means. And then here's the extension of the document. And, well, it says PDF for at right. least one of them. So what that's saying, so what happens then is that because the MIME type, uh, so assuming that the web server on the other end is set up correctly, it's going it, to, I'm not sure if the plugin looks at both the MIME type and the extension. I, I think it just looks at the MIME type. And what happens then is that this plugin will step in and say, no, 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 you know, so if, if the plugin's not there, then the OS will handle it. Otherwise, the plugin's going to grab it and say, oh, it's a PDF. I should handle this and hands it off 
to the Acrobat reader. And then as you indicated, Dave, it will bring it up in the, in Safari using the Acrobat reader and give you all of these, um, unnecessary buttons and options. Yes. But you also get them in that. I, I think you get them in the, they're, they're all unnecessary in the, in the, in the plugin version too. Yeah, That's but I funny. like having, I mean, there is a print button, there's a save button, there is a zoom in and zoom out button, which I like to have them there as, as an option. Yeah, you can do that with Apple's implementation too. It's just... Okay, I, I haven't looked at yeah. the Apple implementation, but it, also I, I just trust Adobe Acrobat to handle PDFs better than other, than preview. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, or, or the the Mac OS X preview engine. You and yeah. I have covered a number of issues where PDFs don't quite do what they should. It, oh, it's true. Apple Apple's engine is not a hundred percent compatible. It's close, but it's not a hundred percent there. But what it is is way, way, way faster than yeah. uh, than anything. Oh. Which is no great surprise that you know Apple wrote something that works faster than something Adobe wrote, right? I mean, this is yeah. You know, I'll, I'll- yeah. So, so that's, I, I use it I, and I leave my plugin as Safari for that because it's, it's just so much faster. More often than not, the library is already loaded. So I don't even need to wait for the, the plugin to load. It's, it's already in memory and it just fires and it's immediately there, which is really handy. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Jumping around a little bit back to, uh, back to Paul here. Paul wrote us, he wrote us to, uh, to, Premium at MacGeekGab.com. Dave, did you say premium at MacGeekGab.com? No, no, no. It was premium at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry. And, and what Paul wrote was, uh, Paul actually uh, answered his own question, but we're going to give you his question first. It's a good one. He says, I've set up a firmware password to prevent others from accessing my MacBook Pro if it gets stolen. I thought I had followed Apple's instructions to the letter. Obviously not. I now need to boot from the install disk to fix my startup disk, except I can't. How do I disable the firmware password? I believe I should have an application called firmware password utility on my Mac. Only I don't. I'm using a mid 2010 MacBook pro running the latest OS. And he says, uh, and then he followed up. He said, uh, just to let you know, I believe I've resolved the issue. I called Apple care and spoke to an advisor who understood what I was talking about. After all that, I was told to hold down the alt key on boot, which is actually the option key on on keyboard. So it's one or the other. And uh, that presented me with a login page after which I was good to go. So that's a that's a good thing. Right, John? Have you run into that? Wait, which key did he say? Alt or alt and option are the same key. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. so. All right, because I was looking at Article HT1352, which is setting up firmware password protection on Mac OS X. And yes, on the very bottom of the list of the features it offers is require a password to use the startup manager access by pressing the option key during startup. Right. Which otherwise, you won't get to the startup manager, which lets you choose what it is to boot from. Right. So he, he, he didn't have this article handy then. So, That's right. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're st- you're in a catch twenty two because, of course, you uh, on the newer machines. I think you need the utility on the disk in order to disable the password. I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's go to Jurgen. I believe I've got the pronunciation right. Uh, that sounds right. I think so. Uh, Jurgen writes: We had a power outage today. There's a theme here. It's that time of year uh, when those of us in the northern hemisphere 
certain spots of the northern hemisphere anyway i guess both hemispheres go through uh go through season change but uh but here we get lots and lots of lightning storms which lead to lots and lots of power outages uh and that's for Jurgen. That's when the problem started. He writes, I, I have amongst others, a MacBook air, a Mac mini and a Drobo. The MacBook is connected via my airport to my network. Everything works fine. Unless I want to connect from my MacBook to my mini, the connection screen sharing and copying files in the finder is really very, very slow. When I copy files from my Drobo to my MacBook, everything's fine. When I connect my MacBook via ethernet, it works fine too. Even when I'm sitting in front of the mini and copy files from the MacBook, it works. Uh, just connecting the MacBook to the Mac Mini via airport is messed up. Uh, so he uh, he says, in short, and in other words, just to describe the problem correctly, sitting at the MacBook Air connected to the Mini, uh, everything's slow. Sitting in front of the Mini and connecting to the MacBook Air, everything works perfectly. And this only happens when the MacBook is connected via airport, not when connected via Ethernet. And then he wrote back and solved his own problem, too. And said, I did some further testing and discovered that it was indeed a hardware problem. The power outage must have damaged a port on my switch. I changed the port for the cable to my Mac mini, and now I get full speed in both directions. So this is, I actually haven't seen this one in a while. Uh, usually when a lightning strike, you know, lightning, its whole idea is to get to get, get uh, to connect to ground. Right. And, uh, and DC power often has a much quicker path to ground and ethernet cables, especially, uh, you know, they are ungrounded. And so I, I guess that, that, uh, or, or the hub, the switch is typically ungrounded. And so everything just disperses through the ethernet ports. Telephones are the same way. It can, you know, you're much more likely to blow up that than, than say a power supply in your, in your computer. So, uh, but I, but I've, I've only seen him just die. I've never seen him go on the fritz like this where it's consistently bad. Cause that's, you know, that's the kind of thing where, it, you know, when you've got a, you've got a problem to solve and it's consistent, you know, that's always my, you've heard me say it before. That's hard. That's software, right? Consistent problem, software, inconsistent hardware. What? Yes. Always. What are you insane? Almost, almost always. No. Is, yeah. Yeah. Software will Having always behave. Software. Well, software will always behave consistently. What using the same parameters. And that's the important part. You know, if I follow exactly the same path, software will always do exactly the no, same. No, thing. no, 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 <laughs> no, no. Have you ever heard of memory leaks, Dave? Mm hmm. That's what I'm Which saying. Randomly scrambles memory. No, no, I did. I, I, I can't support you in that statement. Oh, uh, well, you're you can be wrong. That's OK. I write. I, I do software. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> No, some of the most subtle problems come up with software that uh, memory leaks, I think, are the it, and, you know, a lot of these errors that you still see come up with security issues where things happen because somebody sends a, a mysterious command that overflows. Uh, the, the problem is, is that a lot of software, if it's not written correctly, what you can do is is take extra data and put it in the part of the computer that executes code. And that this is a bad thing. So uh, I, 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 from my point of view, I, I do not agree with you that software always does the same thing every time. Well, I'll take it back. Properly written, written software with no memory leaks or other faults. Yes. Should do the same thing every time. Yeah. Yeah. Inconsistency hardware. Except, uh, except in this case, because he had a, he had a bad, he had a piece of bad hardware that wasn't 
non-functional. It was just consistently malfunctioning. Well, you know, That's the only thing that threw me is that now I don't think, you know, I looked over his description of the problem and I don't think he touched on this in his initial description is that I was under the impression that the mini was on a wireless connection. Uh, the MacBook Air is on a wireless connection. Right, but he didn't explicitly state what connection the Mac Mini was on. Only in his follow-up did he do that. Right. Uh, no, he... Um, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Well, look over it, because then yeah, he that's said, right. change that's the right. port for the cable to my Mini. Yeah, and I'm that's like, Ethernet. Right, uh, right. Now, because I also have a Mini connected by Ethernet, and so what, what I would suggest, the way that you may have been able to see this problem... So number one, the console may record may report network errors, but there's also two other places that you can look, Dave, within Mac OS X. So one is something called network utility. Yeah, this is a handy little utility. You start it up, and it has uh, one of the very first tabs, info, and then there is an Ethernet tab, and under that, you're going to see all sorts of very interesting statistics about your Ethernet connection, including. Hardware address, IP address, link speed, which if it was anything other than what he expected could explain the problem. Like Manya is showing one Gbit, which is what I expect for gigabit Ethernet. Link status active. And I'm going to assume that if it was damaged, it may say something different there. And then you'll see send packets, receive packets, send errors, receive errors. And if you're on a wired connection and you have a quality cable, like I'm looking right now and I have numbers in the millions of sent and receive packets and I have no errors and no collisions, which I should not. So That's if good, yeah. something was damaged, I would say you'd probably see something different in some of those fields, different from what I just described to you, especially yeah. errors and collisions. Yeah. It sounds like it, it was marginal and he was probably getting a lot of t- retransmits or errors, in which case, you know, it'll do its best. It'll be like, Oh man, something's wrong. I got to send it again, send it again. I suspect that was happening. The other place you can look is in the network system preference. So if you click on the Ethernet port and then click on advanced, and on the far right is going to be an Ethernet tab. And under that, you're going to have also a number of options. And it's going to show the speed, which in my case is 1000 base T, which is gigabit Ethernet. Duplex, and I wonder if that was the thing that was messed up. It's going to show the duplex that it thinks it's using in case, in this case, full duplex flow control is what should be there. And then I I know you don't like this, but uh, I have the MTU set to 9000. Or jumbo because i'm all about jumbo packets that's right because I, I can squeak out 0.1 percent more efficiency by using jumbo <laughs> i think i think your air conditioner just, just li- kicked on yeah i think it did plus yeah. i just like seeing the word jumbo there it just makes me feel happy mm-hmm. all right let's do uh let's do a couple of cool things found the first is from wesson wesson writes Another program to help with manipulating time machine files is back in time. It helps to edit the contents of the backup with different options than the time machine version. And uh, indeed it's from uh, try dash edry dot FR. And I believe, oh, let me, oh, you know, I thought I had a price up. Uh, uh, looking here, I think it's uh oh no, this is back in time. 29 different. bucks. So 29 bucks, uh, from try dash edry, but they've got a, they've got a piece of shareware, you know, available. So, um, all right. And then to Greg, who uh, is ever so helpful. And Greg writes, I just figured this out by accident. If you're in a dress book and are in all contacts and click on a contact and then hit the option key, it will highlight which group it is in unless it's not in a group. So it just highlights it off on the side. That's actually pretty cool. If you want to see what groups, 
someone is in, that's uh, that's a good way to do it. Let me uh, let me test this, John. Have you have you tested this for from Greg yet? Not yet. Not yet. Right now. You are. That's crazy. That's that's insane. Oh, on my MacBook. I'm not oh, look at that. Now. Yeah, look at that. You hold on the option key and option key, and then for me in yellow, I I highlighted my dad, and he's in my priority senders group, and so boom, just highlights right there. It's good to go. That's cool. Thanks, Greg. Uh, we got time for a couple more. George wrote. I don't, I, I've oh, forgotten. look at that. Yeah, it lights up yellow. Yeah, neat? I've forgotten exa- anything about this. So, uh, George writes, Kika is a neat donationware app supported by the Mac community. Kika's main advantage as an archiver is the ability to create seriously encrypted 7-zip archives. Uh, he says it archives to several formats, including zip, tar, uh, 7-zip, gzip, and bzip2. Offers the option to exclude or include resource forks. Re- resource forks. Uh, if you've ever tried to copy a folder from iTunes, music to a Windows or Android machine, there's a lot of Mac stuff that gets dragged along. All those DS and thumbnails that we talked about actually recently on a different show. Um, and he says uh, he uses Kika, K-E-K-A-O-S-X.com. So yet another in the archiving uh realm of things we like we like all that stuff and i believe yeah i believe it's free so community supported you can donate if you uh if you download it and like it one more john you think we got time i suppose all right well that's good we like those uh jeff an interesting thing called autocorrector uh he says it will add a correct word to the autocorrect dictionary. So iOS doesn't try and replace it. So the idea is uh, you, you get this app and it's 99 cents for your iPhone or iPad or whatever. And, uh, and then you use it, you know, the, the uh, iOS keeps a list of words that are in its autocorrector. And so you can add uh, you know, sometimes it's frustrating if I'm trying to type somebody's name or a word I type all the time. Uh, I, you know, it's trying to correct it to something else and I, I don't want it to do that. And Apple doesn't apparently doesn't offer us a way to edit that list and add things to it. Well, autocorrector does. Um, and there's a couple of words, you know, some curse words, I think is the real problem, but that you can't add to the, uh, <laughs> to the autocorrect Apple blocks those, but, but otherwise you're, uh, you're in good shape. So, uh, so, yeah. So thanks. That's cool, Jeff. That's, uh, that's handy stuff. We like handy stuff for a buck. It sounds like it's worth it. Uh, <laughs> I haven't put it on my iPhone yet, but the next time I'm in the middle of typing an email and I get frustrated by it, that's the time when I'm going to go buy it. Now, have you tried a uh, Google translate? Yeah. Now that's another app. Now this is probably a good idea though, but, but, uh, but I've learned this. So uh, for those that don't know, Google translate, uh, works on an iDevice and it lets you speak something in one language and then we'll translate it to another. Now, I found this out, Dave, is that it doesn't work for uh, for uh, expletives or curse words. Because, you know, the first thing I want to do when I'm traveling in another country or I need to use another language is to learn the, the local curse words. That's right. That's the, that's the way to get yourself in right there. They'll think you're one of them. <laughs> Well, it depends on if you want to generate them or know what other people are saying. But no, it just shows, last I checked, it just shows stars. Oh, well, you know. I thought, you know, that may depend on your level of safe search. Oh, all right. 
Because I, I thought I had, uh, for testing purposes, experimented the same thing. And uh, I didn't think I had any trouble with it. But man, I don't oh. know. Maybe I, maybe I didn't. Maybe I was uh, less juvenile that day than I normally <laughs> am. But I, 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 I never remembered that. And I, um, I would be surprised if I didn't test that knowing. Mm. Knowing how I, we usually think the same on things like that. You want to test mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, we talked about one way to contact us. You can call us on the phone, 206-666-GEEK, which is? Uh, yeah. Four, three, three, five. That's right. You can Skype to Mac Geek Gab. Uh, I tested it today. It works. Um, and then, uh, of course, you can send in iTunes comments to which we cannot reply, at least not on iTunes. We could reply here. Maybe it'd be interesting to read some of those someday. I'm sure you would all love to have us just read those to you. Uh, but I know what we love. <laughs> is the fact that you subscribe to our premium edition. Thank you so much for supporting us. And uh, and we hope you appreciate the extra content and uh, all of that stuff. But mm. really, we appreciate your support. So It gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling, Dave. That's what it should do. And I think it gives you, and I, I hope it gives the uh, the listeners that warm, fuzzy feeling. So, so we're all warm and fuzzy. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling three ways around. <laughs> Uh, we'd also like to extend that warm, fuzzy feeling to Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators, formerly iPhone Alley podcast. He converts this to AAC for uh, to add to enhance the warm, fuzzy feeling. Cashfly.com for providing all the bandwidth. And uh, John, I think that's uh, that's what we got here. We'll be back on Monday. We'll record another podcast. It'll be number 339. That's how we roll. Mm-hmm. And, and no cold pricklies. Oh, yeah, that's... What? Yeah, don't say that again. Don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.